And we're live. Welcome, friends from around the world. This is the great debate. Not a debate where two sides work to defeat one another. Rather, a debate where both sides come together to find common ground on the most important issues of our time. What are we discussing today? A topic that has been debated for years. A topic that in recent days have made headlines. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo recently visited Israel. After his visit, he said, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. This was a controversial statement. Is it true what he said? Is it partially true? Are these two inherently connected or are they different? Today, we find out. Before we introduce our two guests, just want to remind you all that after this discussion, we're going to have an after party in the Discord server. Who, those who don't know what Discord is, go to the description. You'll see a link to Discord. Check it out and you'll find out. But essentially, we continue the conversation like we do here. It's a voice and video conversation and everyone can contribute. If you're new to this channel, like, subscribe. If you really like what we're doing, support us on Patreon. For the price of a rubber duck, you can support us for a full month. When it comes to uh, the comment section, let's have a vibrant discussion, but keep it respectful. No one has ever changed their mind by being insulted or, or personally attacked. Try to understand where somebody's coming from and work from there. It's a pleasure to have you all here with us. And without further ado, it's a great pleasure to introduce my two guests. To my top left, Blake Flayton is a junior at George Washington University and an activist in democratic politics. He believes anti-Semitism to be a serious problem in the progressive movement that should be combated in a friendly manner. Welcome to the show, Blake. Thank you. Glad to be here. And to my top right, Thomas Resnick is a freelance writer, founder of Jews Against War with Iran. He's a graduate from New York University with an individualized degree in evolutionary psychology and human enterprise. Welcome, Thomas. It's a pleasure to have you here. Really excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Now let's get to the to the juicy stuff. Well, actually, before we get to the real juicy stuff, I feel like we need to discuss definitions a little bit. We need to make sure we all agree on terms Zionism, anti-Zionism, etc. So we'll start by defining Zionism. And with that, Blake, the floor is yours. Of course. Thank you so much, Adar. And thank you so much, Thomas, for being here again. Um, so to understand, so to understand, oh, sorry, there's a little bit of feedback. I'll get rid of, I'll get over that. <laughs> to understand Zionism, we need to define the ideology in a global and historical context. The most simple definition of Zionism is Jewish nationalism. When all of us hear the word nationalism, we recoil and think of far-right ideology and things like America first. But at the time of Zionism's conception, the late 1800s and early 1900s, nationalism was a radically progressive idea. Nationalism was the idea that empires like Britain, like Russia, like the Ottomans, like Spain, like France, did not have the right to subjugate different nationalities and ethnicities under their imperial rule. Nationalism said very clearly that every nation had its own right to self-determination, to govern themselves, and to establish themselves as an independent people in charge of their own destiny. Nationalism was a driving force behind decolonization. As the 20th century began, the Enlightenment ideologies of national liberation were so strong that it nearly broke apart the world with over 100, yes, 100, new states arising from fallen empires. This transition of decolonization was bloody and chaotic, as we all know if we've ever opened a, a history book. 
countless civil wars and regional conflicts all over the world with millions dead and tens of millions displaced. But the new states that rose from the ashes were mostly centered around shared ethnicity, shared ancestry, identity, culture, tradition, language, and religion. This era birthed most of the states we see today, including almost every country in the Middle East, Africa, South America, Europe, and Asia. And it said to them, you have the right to power. You have the right to distribute resources amongst your own people and defend yourselves on your own land. Zionism, therefore, can be, dequined, can be defined quite simply. It is the Jews saying, us too. Zionism is the Jewish demand that if the world was going to begin dividing itself into sovereign peoples with their own armies to defend themselves on their own territory, the Jews would have that right as well as we have always defined ourselves as a nation since our first time as Israelites. We deserve this right, especially after two millennia of the most violent persecution and oppression this world has ever seen. It is simply because a Jewish state was not in existence that we had to endure so many horrors as a people. It's true, had a Jewish state for the Jewish nation existed, it would have prevented Inquisition, Pogrom, Farhud, and Holocaust. Who knows how many anti-Semitic atrocities have been prevented since the year 1948. Nationalism is so normalized today that if somebody were to say, the Poles don't deserve a state, we would consider this anti-Polish. If somebody were to say, the Kurds don't deserve a state, we would consider that anti-Kurdish. And of course, if somebody were to say, the Palestinians don't deserve a state, it would of course be anti-Palestinian. Why then is saying the Jews don't deserve a state not considered unquestionably anti-Jewish? But that is the nature of anti-Zionism, which I'm sure Thomas is going to talk to us about. To delegitimize the state of Israel as its own independent nation is to delegitimize the Jewish people as their own independent people, undeserving of the same rights as any other people simply because they are Jews. Or, in other words, the textbook version of anti-Semitism. Zionism is the right of the Jewish people to make decisions about their own future, no longer submitting to an oppressive majority, no longer accepting our place in a society, in a country that is not ours, as a weak, powerless, and scattered people. We can disagree all day and all night about whether or not we agree with those decisions. That is healthy and respectful criticism of Israel. And by the way, healthy and respectful criticism of Israel is not and will never be anti-Zionism. But to deny the right of the Jewish people to make those decisions at all, to deny us the right to be supervisors of our own fate, of our own destiny, while every other nation is welcomed, that is an egregious act of discrimination. Since our expulsion from Judea, Jews were denied a seat at the table of international affairs. In 1948, we pulled up a folding chair, because if you're not at the table, as thousands of years of Jewish history has taught us, you're on the menu. Cool. Um, that was, I'm back in perfect timing. Thank you for that, Blake. I was listening. I just could not connect to StreamYard. Um, Tom, Thomas, do you agree with that definition of Zionism? Um, largely, I would define, here's the thing. I agree with, I'd say, the descriptive stuff that Blake just laid out. Mm, little, I'd say more so disagree on the prescriptive stuff. In terms of defining Zionism, um, I just give it a simple definition of support for the existence of a Jewish state. 
And obviously that means anti-Zionism would be uh, opposition or disagreement with the existence of a Jewish state. And you know, let me be clear, this, this debate is entitled, is anti-Zionism anti-Semitism? Can, can anti-Zionism be anti-Semitism? Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Like, yeah, just, I mean, if you've been on the internet for any appreciable amount of time, you'd realize that. But what I really want to get at is inherently, is being an anti-Zionist inherently anti-Semitic is what I reject. Okay. So b- before, before we do the back and forth, I do, Thomas, want to give you an opportunity to lay down, just like Blake defined anti-Zionism, because just like Blake defined Zionism, and there is some small difference in opinion, it seems like the working definition is close enough that, that there, there won't be misunderstandings when it comes to terminology. But can you, can you define anti-Zionism as you see it? Sure. So let me just start out by saying that a lot of times when people talk about the issue of Israel and Zionism, there's really, they're really talking about four interrelated but distinct enough subjects that I think are worth just, if you were to bear with me for a moment, uh, divvying up. The first of which is, you know, what you just asked, the validity of Zionism as a political ideology. The second would be contemporary Israeli policy towards the Palestinian people. Thirdly, the merits of the United States-Israel alliance. And lastly, the significance of the state of Israel in communal Jewish life. So, and how I define myself is actually not even necessarily as an anti-Zionist. I would say I am a non-Zionist in a very abstract sense, simply because what, all right, let me me put it like this. It seems that there are as many uh, definitions of what it means to be Jewish as there are Jewish people. Um, as you know, obviously, Jewishness is very heavily intertwined, if not inseparable, from the religion of Judaism. And I would just say, in the abstract, I don't think that religious states should exist. And, you know, if Judaism is a part of that, then if, if Judaism cannot be separated from Jewishness, then I didn't, then sure, I would call myself an anti-Zionism, excuse me, an anti-Zionist. And that's not unique to Jews. I would say the same thing about Christian states, Muslim states, Hindu states, Zoroastrian states, whatever. So um, I just I just want to lay that out. Um, on the other hand, if Jewishness can be effectively separated from Zionism, excuse me, <laughs> Jewishness can effectively be separated from Judaism, the religion, then in the abstract, why not? Sure, I'm, I'm a Zionist. Um, the issue is, though, is that when most people describe themselves as anti-Zionist, they're not really talking about the first issue that I laid out, but really the second, third, and fourth, um, just to go over again real quick, which is contemporary Israeli policy, merits of the U.S.-Israel alliance, and the significance of the state of Israel in Jewish communal life. The fact of the matter is this. Um, I'm sure both of you have heard, but there's right now a single state between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, and that is the Jewish one. Even if you ignore the millions of Palestinians living in the occupied territories and millions abroad um, as a result of the Nakba in 1948, fully a quarter of of the uh, citizens of Israel, of Israel proper, do not identify as Jewish, that is the nation, in any way, shape, or form, even though that they are citizens. As my interlocutor will probably point out, or has pointed out already, I think, um, Israel is obviously not the only nation state in the world. You got Germany, you have Poland, as Blake stated, Italy, Ireland, Armenia, Japan, Hungary, so on and so forth, right? Okay, in the abstract, fine, whatever. The world, you know, fine. It, it, in the abstract, whatever. I don't I necessarily have a problem with that. But what makes Israel different? 
what makes people being anti-Zionist is the significant people, number of people residing within Israel proper's borders that are simply can never really be part of the nation. Unless they re- unless they renounce some of the most entrenched aspects of their identity, and that is what most anti-Zionists, at least most reasonable anti-Zionists, take umbrage with. So um, Blake states that uh, he he had stated something along the lines of if you know someone disagreed with the existence of Poland as a Polish state, it would be Polonophobic. Again, I think that really depends. Um, for instance, I- I'd say if you disagree with the Spanish state as it exists today even though that's kind of unrealistic, um, say for similar reasons, because, you know, there's not just ethnic Spaniards in Spain. I mean, Spain has a sort of similar issue with, it has a large number of people not identifying as part of the nation. You have Catalans and Basques and Galicians and so on. Then disagreement with the existence of a Jewish state for a similar reason, while also unrealistic, it's not inherently anti-Semitic. To claim that the opposition to the existence of a given state rather than a group of people is alone, is alone bigoted requires one to adopt the tortured logic that the majority of Scotsmen are anti-Scottish for voting against Scottish independence in 2014, and more um, pertinently, that most Jewish people prior to the horrors of the Holocaust were anti-Semites for their opposition to the establishment of a Jewish state, as well as, well as a number of significant Haredi Jews today. Even those counted among self-described Zionists in the past held positions that would today be considered anti-Zionists, in fact namely support for a binational state, which my opponent opponent would presumably by extension consider to be anti-Semitic. So to conclude that the, some of the world's foremost Jewish luminaries, among them Sigmund Freud, Rabbi Samson, Raphael Hirsch, Albert Einstein, Emma Goldman, Herman Cohen, Hannah Arendt, Rudolf Virba, and Merrick Edelman were anti-Semites is a contention that I cannot allow to go unchallenged. Thank you, Thomas. Blake, all Okay, so I feel like we need to pull back the lens a little bit and really get into the definition of what exactly anti-Zionism is. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just to to answer one of your your first contentions, because um, because this is always one I take issue with, um, regardless of you know who I'm having this conversation with. But there's a difference between being anti-Zionist before 1948 and being anti-Zionist after 1948. And the very simple reason is because after 1948, the state of Israel exists. After 1948, there is a political community of sovereign Jews in the Middle East who have their own flag, their own anthem, their own state. And so rather, uh, uh, Shani Moore, who's a uh, Israeli uh, writer, uh, made a really good point about this in one of his pieces for the forward, kind of trite point. He said, there's a difference between being in a Vienna cafe in 1920, arguing that uh, a Jewish state was probably not be- the best course of action for the Jewish people, uh, you know, intellectually uh, talking about that, something that would exist in the future, hypothetical. And um, and then I'm, you know, paraphrasing this article, saying, uh, well, I'm a 20-year-old college student drinking a pumpkin spice latte in the Upper West Side advocating for the destruction of an already con- existing political sovereign community. So those are just two uh, differences there. Uh, we can't really compare anti-Zionism before 1948 and Zionism after 1948. That's uh, kind of the reason of, let's say you and, uh, and a spouse are, are looking about having a kid, thinking about having children. Before you have those children, you can decide all day and all night whether or not it is the right thing to do to have those children. 
Um, but then once the children are born, you can no longer decide if it's okay to have those children uh, because they're already here. They're already in existence. So, um, but let's let's move back and discuss what what anti-Zionism is. Um, okay, I just want to take um, umbrage I think, with some of the language you said there. So you you made a distinction between Zionism pre uh, pre state and Zionism post state of Israel. And okay, I get I get what you're understanding. When you use the word destruction, though, and I'm not saying you're doing this maliciously, but that word conjures up imagery of terrorism, the Holocaust, violence, just nasty stuff. But when people say, for instance, that um, and look, you can agree or disagree with the merits of this. But when people say that they want Israel to be a binational state of Jews and Palestinians, and I, I guess in a sense, you could say it's being destroyed. Israel would be destroyed in the sense of being a uh, majority Jewish, uh, majority Jewish voting state, but it's not the same as genocide or ethnic cleansing. That's not what reasonable people, and yes, there are anti-Semitic anti-Zionists, but that's not who we're talking about right now. I'm saying that's not what reasonable people support. So I think to use that language is a bit disingenuous, and I wanna, I'm going to say this right now, and I'm just going to preface it, but I'm not saying these situations are one-to-one the same, but it would be the equivalent of white South Africans saying in the apartheid era, that Nelson Mandela wanted to destroy South Africa. Well, did he? Well, I, in a sense, I guess he did in the sense he wanted to fundamentally remake it, but he did not um, support the killing of white people. As a matter of fact, he was um, he set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and he was very and he granted a lot of clemency to some really nasty uh, criminals under the apartheid regime. And again, I'm not calling Israel, I'm not saying it's the same exact thing as South Africa, but I hope you can get the point that wanting to fundamentally change a state is not ipso facto bigoted or supporting supportive of violence. That's, that's what I'm trying to get across. That's an incredibly naive uh, uh, point to have <laughs> a view to have. Um, you know, there's, there's this really interesting phenomenon that happens in the West, um, you know, mainly within white Western uh, leftist circles that uh, tries to prescribe problems to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that both Israelis and Palestinians know are completely ridiculous. You cannot look at this region of the world that is so horribly divided by religion, by, uh, by ethnicity, um, by, by political attachment, by nationalist movements, by socialist movements, and say that a binational solution in a place like Israel-Palestine will work without chaos, without... without but how, how is that inherently, I'm sorry to interrupt, how is that inherently anti-Semitic? Like we can, that's fine, you want to debate them. I'm not necessarily arguing for a binational, uh, binational state, but how is that necessarily anti-Semitic? Is what I will tell you how it's necessarily anti-Semitic. So anti-Zionism is the belief that of, that of, that out of all of the nationalist movements in the world, out of all of these independent nation states that arose in the 20th century, only one has no right to exist in its current form. Only one state's misdeeds and transgressions invalidate its entire existence. Only one nationalist movement is so deviant, so demonic, so satanic, that it deserves to be purged from the earth entirely because of its nature. And what do we ask ourselves is its nature? Jewish. Anti-Zionists will assure you that no, Zionism is not like the other national liberation movements. Zionism is white supremacy. Zionism is apartheid akin to South Africa. Zionism is racism. Zionism is genocide. 
And now we begin to understand the connection between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is an irrational obsession with the Jews as a collective people. Anti-Semitism throughout history has been characterized as a community attaching what they believe to be the most reprehensible qualities on the face of the earth to the idea of the Jewish people in order to demonize them, strip Jews of their protections and defenses, push Jews to the fringes of society, and ultimately erase Jews from the globe. None of these accusations and labels have ever been based in fact, but rather in conspiracy theory. Anti-Zionism simply says that the same respect and validity that is given to every other nation, yes, regardless of what this nation does that we might not approve of, does not apply to Jews. Okay, I I feel like with, I mean, I agree with your description of anti-Semitism, but I'm not necessarily sure how it's relevant. Um, You said that Israel is the only nation state that people oppose. I mean, that's just not true. Uh, again, the majority of Scotsmen voted against Scottish independence. I don't think they're self-hating. Um, there's a lot of sort of completely different. It, it, it isn't, but um, well, maybe in some ways. But by by that, the, the idea alone, oh, if you're against a certain nation state, you're inherently anti this people. That's that that just isn't true. Um, again, you have Catalan. You know, there's debate over Catalans and Basques, and you mentioned the Kurds. And here's the thing: with even with the Kurds, with this the Syrian Democratic Forces in, in the north of Syria, even they don't actually support an independent Kurdish state. They just support a federated Kurdistan. So, and that is a possible solution that I think some anti-Zionists would also support to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But no, no one's no one's going to say the SDF is uh, they're they're self-hating that they're Kurdophobic or something because you know I mean it's just it, it's it, it's it's ridiculous. And again, if we want to talk if we want to talk about are there anti-Zionists who do uh, are uh, anti-Zionists because of some issue that they inherently have with Jewish people? Yeah, of course there are. But that's not at least that's not how I see this conflict. It's about inherently whether or not anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic, and I don't think it is any more than opposition to the existence of a Scottish state or a Catalan state or a Kurdish state. And yes, even a Palestinian state is anti-Palestinian in a certain, in given, in the given context. So So you you would say that uh, opposing a Palestinian state would not be anti-Palestinian? Not necessarily. It really depends on, it depends on the, like for instance, I mean, a binational state uh, in what is, in what is Israel proper in the occupied territories like the, I mean, it, it, it well theoretically, very possibly could be even majority Jewish still. But I mean, yeah, the Palestinians would have to, uh, I guess, give that up. Um, I don't think that's necessarily. It would only be anti-Palestinian if there was, you know, discrimination against Palestinians or there's something against Palestinians as human beings. I mean, that that's I think what makes it inherently bigoted. And the same goes. The same goes for Israel. So we're talking a lot about about the concept of a binational solution um, and. It just it is a fundamental misunderstanding of the region of the Middle East and the purpose of Israel and the purpose of the IDF. Okay. I I'm a member, I'm a member of the left, and so I believe it to be well within reason in my ideology that I do not want to impose my country's values, my country's system of government, my country's idea of democracy onto a region, onto a place that is so much more complicated, so much more nuanced, and so much more fraught with tension that it is not going to respond to those prescriptions well, which um, I didn't think worked in Iraq. And uh, quite frankly, I don't think it's going to work um, in any kind of regime change um, apparatus that that, that comes from, that comes from uh, somewhere like America or Western Europe. And so you look at the situation on the ground with Israel and Palestine, these are two people 
Israel, Israelis and Palestinians who believe two things to be true. One, they believe they are their own people with their own language, with their own culture, with their own identity, with their own sense of place in the world. And the second thing they believe is that they are not the other people. And it is a recipe for disaster. And I wish it wasn't. It would be beautiful if we could all live uh, uh, in, in peace and harmony in, in this region of the world. But it is a fantasy simply because of the very nature of the history of the area and its current and its current situation. Um, there are attacks on Israel nearly every single day, not only from from rockets in Gaza, but also from Iranian-backed Hezbollah militants. Still, the majority of countries within the Arab world, uh, I know we're we're in the process of making uh, normalization deals. Um, that's a whole other debate about the merits of those of those peace processes. But the majority of states in the region will not recognize Israel's right to exist, and certainly will not recognize Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. Um, you know, we forget that 1967 and 1973 um, and 1993 and 2001 to 2005, uh, all of these, you know, kind of moments of violence against Israel, they're not that long ago. These deep-seated anti-Jewish sentiments in this area of the world are a legitimate security problem. And when we talk about what Zionism is... Jews have always had security problems with countries all over the world simply because they never had one of their own. They never had a, a, an army to defend themselves. And so when we talk about Zionism in this context, Zionism is protection. And so it is inherently anti-Semitic to be anti-Zionist because what you're saying is 7 million Jews in, in a region of over 1 billion Muslims, right? Those Jews do not have the right to defend themselves with an army. Those Jews do not have the right to govern themselves on their indigenous ancestral homeland. Nowhere, by the way, nowhere in Zionism does it say that there cannot be a Palestinian state. But everywhere in anti-Zionism, it says that there cannot be a Jewish state. So ask yourselves, which one is the racist ideology? Which, which one is the... Uh, uh, which one is the annihilationist form of justice? Israel exists. The Jewish people exist under a banner. It is a political community as legitimate as any other political community, regardless of what the government does. And we can talk all day and all night about what the government does. But at the end of the day, this is a extremely complicated situation. And in this extremely complicated, extremely dangerous situation and area of the world, it is it is beyond hateful and, and beyond bigoted to assume that for some false sense of social justice that we as Americans are pontificating about, um, Jews should give up their sovereignty. Jews should give up their army. Jews should give up, up their self-governance and their sovereignty. Because when has that ever, ever resulted in, in, in negative consequences for us before? Okay. Um, there's like... I think if I don't forget the last one, there's like three things I want to uh, address here. So the first one you said was that, you know, you're against, I guess, Western romanticized imposition of, I don't know, like hippie dippy, uh, you know, kumbaya stuff, you know, in Israel, Palestine, along the lines of like liberalism. I mean, look, I, mean, I don't support bombing Israel or anything like that. Or, I mean, ideally, I mean, I, I would prefer that, you know, uh, the American foreign policy be non-interventionist, but the fact of the matter is, is that in American foreign policy right now, the United States is very involved. 
with Israel-Palestine, and it's on the side of Israel. It's not even comparable. And secondly, if you remember the uh, fourth point I laid out in my introduction, that the Jewish, uh, the organized Jewish community today is intrinsic, is makes it it's makes it its modus operandi to ensure that Jewish people identify with the state of Israel in Jewish communal life. So you can say, oh, well, we shouldn't be imposing, we shouldn't get involved. We're already involved. We're already involved. And, you know, if, if, if being Jewish, and here's the thing, if being Jewish means that we, you know, we need to care about Israel, then American Jews, even lefty American Jews like myself, have every right to have an opinion. The second thing I want to say is that you laid out about how um, you laid out how dangerous Israel is with the with the intifadas and the the big wars over the last few decades and you know Iran and whatever um it, you know I mean okay like point taken like yeah it's it's pretty dangerous you know Israel you know okay yeah it is in a very volatile part of the world but then you're saying that no no uh, uh, being against the Jew or, or a Jewish state inherently is anti-Semitic because it it, it puts Jews at risk as if like right now already. Israel doesn't, at least according to you, you just said it, according to you, Israel does not have its own security issues. And I mean, what you seem to be saying is that, you know, I'm, you know, that, you know, Western American, whatever Jews who don't live there, you know, they don't understand the conflict. They can't, you know, they, they don't know what it's like, you know, to uh, have to deal with terrorism. And fair enough. But then you can't tell me that the only way for Jews to have certain safety is to have a Jew Jewish majority state because it already exists and there's already terrorism. So I mean, so I mean, which is the, and the last thing I want to say is that is that you said um, you said that Zionism is not inherently anti-Palestinian uh, state, but anti-Zionism is an inherently uh, anti-Jewish state. Whatever. Um, I mean, okay, I guess that is technically true, but like the fact of the matter is is that Zionism has won out, and for the Palestinian people, it has had. And I'm not I'm not saying that Zionism is invalidated because of this. Don't get me wrong. But from the position of the Palestinian people and, uh, and sympathetic observers, it, it, it has been quite disastrous. And for them, it is discredited. So I think so you can say, OK, in the abstract, in the abstract. OK, fair enough. But in practice, it's Zionism that has inflicted the damage. And that's oh Yeah, I'll see. You so, that, so two things that I uh, two things that I want to tackle there. One, you said that. Um, in regards to Israel's security concerns, you, you were kind of making the argument that, well, if there are security concerns now with Iran, with Hezbollah, with Gaza, uh, then there will be security concerns regardless. So we might as well just make it a binational state, get rid of the IDF, and the same con security concerns will just continue. Only one problem then by your prescription, by your solution to deal with this problem and by national solution Israel has relinquished, and Israel, by extension, the Jewish people, the sovereign Jewish people in the Middle East, have relinquished any sort of defense that they uh, have to defend themselves. And this is a constant uh, trend in, in anti-Semitism throughout centuries of Jewish history. The number one goal is to always make Jews forego their defenses, forego the protections, convince them and manipulate them that that which uh, protects them from the outside world, that which solidifies their identity as Jewish people and defends them against things like genocide, conversion, uh, expulsion. Those things should be whittled away um, in a manner that is violent and brutal, like it was uh, uh, in, 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 in Europe, or in a way that is uh, meticulous, that is uh, incremental, that is slow, that is psychological, um, as it has been um, in the West uh, post-1967. So uh, 
of course, there would be a completely different situation in regard to how serious the Jewish people's security would be before a binational state uh, uh, and after uh, a binational state. Um, and the second thing, um, I don't really quite remember um, you saying, <laughs> I, I think I, I missed that point, um, but I just wanted to make um, a general point um, about anti-Zionism and what exactly we're talking about. So um, anti-Zionism simply says that the same respect and validity that is given to every other nation, regardless of what that nation does that we might disapprove of, does not apply to Jews. So when China throws thousands of Uyghur Muslims into concentration camps, does anyone stand up and advocate for the erasure of China as an yeah. example? Yes, they do. They actually do. People say all the time the People's Republic of China should not exist. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but guess what? I agree with them. It's not Sinophobic. If I was saying stuff that was racist against Chinese people, then sure. But it's perfectly legitimate to object to the existence, at least of how of the present Chinese state. I'm sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you, but I. I, but there's I, a I, difference I, between objecting to the, There's a difference between objecting to the current to the current Chinese state, and many people do, um, and, and what anti-Zionism is. Anti-Zionism is the complete undoing of a state. Anti-Zionism is the complete bringing together of two civilizations who for the past 80 years have been at war with each other. Anti-Zionism anti is making a small, tiny majority in an overwhelmingly majority country uh, a region vulnerable. It is taking away one specific group, one specific nation's power of self-determination, power of self-defense, power of self-redistribution. It is completely, no one argues that with China. When, when Bashar al-Assad gasses his own people, who in their right mind, who comes out of the ideological woodwork and says something like, well, the entirety, the entire concept of Syrian nationalism, of a Syrian identity must be dismantled. Nobody says that. And uh, when when Palestine, uh, you know, uh, the the events that we've talked about before, launch rockets into Israel or send, you know, suicide bombers into Israel, nobody in their right mind, at least nobody who I'm interested in having a conversation with, will ever say that those acts of violence, that those acts of combat completely invalidate forever and for always the chance of Palestinian self-determination. It doesn't because we as respectable, liberal minded people no, because we've taught, we've been taught the principles of the Enlightenment that every nation, that every people, especially ones that have been so oppressed, especially ones that have been so wronged for simply not having a state, for simply being homeless, that these people on one corner of the earth have a right to govern themselves and to make decisions about their own fate. And to say that we don't, after everything that we've been through, is an act of anti-Semitism, because why? Why would you, instead of working with a solution in which two people can have sovereignty, why would you subject this region to chaos? Why would you intentionally erase an existing political identity that just so happens to be connected to the Jewish people when those same arguments are not being made everywhere and anywhere? And I want to, just before you interrupt, you say that some people are against nation states and it's not just Israel. That is certainly true. However, look at the obsession. Look at the constant finger pointing by mechanisms like the BDS movement, like mechanisms like just the anti-Israel lobby all over the world. It is always Israel, 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 Israel. The actual deeds of Israel, the actual misdeeds of Israel are often so blown out of proportion that 
a, a blood libelist priest in medieval Europe would be taken aback because that is the level of, of, of exaggeration that we're dealing with here. Um, it is, it is just no, no policies are usually ever discussed in these types of heated debates. No, no, no actual analysis of the situation on the ground, just the attachment of the world's most reprehensible qualities, white supremacy, apartheid, Nazism, bigotry, racism, are attached to the collective Jewish people, the Jewish people as a collective in this case being Israel, in order to demonize them, vilify them, and push the concept of Jewish national liberation outside the boundaries of what is considered respectable conversation in a society. And this is how anti-Semitism has always, always, always operated. You attach the idea of the Jewish people as a collective to whatever a given community believes is the most atrocious, the most atrocious traits on the face of the earth to, 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 the medieval Christians, Jews were Christ killers, a deicidic, satanic, demonic people sending the rest of Europe to hell. To the Nazis, Jews were an impure race, communists, internationalists, and liberals. To the Soviets, we were capitalists, cosmopolitans, nationalists, and imperialists. To the contemporary far right, we are globalist elitists for open borders and socialism. And to the contemporary far left, as I have just said, the state of Israel stands as the expression of the collective people, embodying the world's most sinister traits by its very nature— racism, ethnic cleansing, Nazism, apartheid. None of this political jargon to mask hatred of Jews throughout the centuries has ever been true, and certainly none of it is true now. Anti-Zionism is merely a continuation of the world's oldest, oldest, most irrational hatred. Okay, um, you, you, you said a lot there, and that's fine, because I mean, I've said a lot too. Um, just, I mean, just the most recent thing, I mean, you, you were talking a lot about anti-Semitism, anti anti and I don't disagree really with anything what you're saying. I just don't see how it's relevant to how anti-Zionism is inherently anti-Semitic. To go back to some of the points you uh, had, had said, um, the, the point of bringing up Israel's security issues is that you have, um, you, you, I guess, have either implicitly or explicitly, explicitly you know, accused the anti-Zionist or even non-Zionist side of being idealists when it comes to you know, what they would want to see as a just solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But at the same time, you're the one, you know, being, I mean, at the same time, you're also partaking in idealism by saying that Israel has to maintain an occupation to be safe. Israel has to have oh, a... Please, please do not think that I'm saying that Israel okay. has to have an occupation to okay. be safe. But that, that's what the Hasbara line is. It's that Israel is so dangerous. It's that it's so dangerous that, okay, yeah, you see these terrible things, but it has to protect itself for that reason. Because it's so dangerous. So if you want to tell me, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to say I'm being an idealist okay but so are you because israel still has problems um second the other thing i want um second thing i wanted to say was um about just you know you said no one's against the existence of syria i mean like yes yes they are that is a very common um that is a very common uh belief in the foreign policy establishment plenty of people have wanted to see syria uh, divvied up or just reform in some way again like i said the syrian democratic forces which are mostly kurdish themselves want to fundamentally change syria that doesn't make it um i mean to say that they're anti-bigoted against syrians would, would be pretty stupid um again and, and you know even with iraq with uh, president-elect biden i believe sometime like several years ago had even suggested just completely uh dividing up iraq and you know 
agree or disagree with that. I don't know if you could say that's necessarily bigoted because, I mean, look, I mean, it, it, I mean, we're talking about states, not human beings. We're talking about states. These are man-made polities that, in my opinion, don't have rights. People have rights. And I'll, I'll say this. Does, do I think Israel has a right to exist as a state? No, but guess what? I don't think Palestine has a right to exist as a state. I don't think America has the right to exist as a state. I don't think Iran or Japan or any country has a right to exist as a state. You know, I'll take what I get in terms of reality, but you know, I mean, let's not let's not conflate states with human beings. Um, and see, I'm trying to figure out. I was going to say something else. I apologize. Um, but. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would hope you realize that Israel is not the only country that people talk about wanting to fundamentally change. Um, when people, for instance, actually over the summer with the um, with the sort of anti-racism protests, a lot of people you know, were talking about how the United States is a fundamentally illegitimate settler colonial state. And I mean, I don't I mean, I pretty much agree with that. Um that doesn't mean that they hate Americans or wish violence against Americans. You know, when people, for and to give you another analogy, people will sometimes post a map of the United States and superimposed on, on it are like, you know, where um, various American Indian peoples used to live before they were, you know, um, uh, submitted to genocide or put onto reservations or any other human rights atrocity. And it's like, it's to remind people, you know, that, you know, hey, you know, maybe we should think a little more critically, like maybe not you should think a little bit more critically about what purpose the United States serves. But the thing is, if someone does the same thing with Israel by showing demolished Palestinian villages, they will be, be able to, they will be said to be delegitimizing Israel according to Natan Sharansky's 3D test of anti-Semitism, which in my opinion is just completely stupid, and hen, uh, 3D test of anti-Zionism, I mean, and, then, and hence called anti-Semitic. So, I mean, it's, it's a double standard. Like, look, I mean, in, in the case of the United States, doesn't mean you hate white people or Americans or whatever, just recognizing that um, you know, that, you know, the existence of a given state by itself is not some moral, you know, prerogative, you know, there, there are, it, it, it's not these sort of like platonic forms that exist in the abstract that they have just some inherent, inherent right to exist. I mean, look, I mean, th- thing, things get ugly around, around this stuff. And, and, the, and the same goes for Israel. So when people want to fundamentally change Israel, like they want to fundamentally change America, debate the merits of it, fair enough. I'm not going to say, what I think is necessarily best. I mean, unless, unless directly asked, but you can't call it inherently anti-Semitic. Like just so you can't call it inherently, inherently anti-American people. Can I, re- re- real quick, we'll do a quick intermission and then Blake, uh, all you. So first of all, if you're just joining us, um, we do this every Thursday. If you like what you see, like subscribe, if you don't like, give us a down vote, just express yourself. We're cool with that. Uh, I came into this debate not having a clear position on this issue. That's one of the reasons I was very excited to to host this conversation so I could better learn. And what, what I'm realizing is a lot of the difference here comes down to who who we value. So if you're Jewish or a, or a Jew sympathizer, you're gonna you're gonna understand the situation of the Jewish people, the history of the Jewish people, and understand that they have every right to be able to defend themselves and preferably on their ancestral homeland. It, 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 it makes sense. Um, it, it doesn't seem like a controversial opinion in any way, shape or form. If you tend to sympathize more with Palestinians because you're Palestinian or a Palestinian sympathizer, you would say, you could say, I don't have anything inherently against Jews, but their self-determination seems to come at the expense of the well-being of the Palestinian people. 
So th this seems to be one of the major conflicts between what is the Zionist camp and the anti-Zionist camp. And let's put aside the full category of anti-Semites who veil their anti-Semitism under anti-Zionism. Uh, I do think there are a lot of well-intentioned people who have nothing personally against Jews, but they don't see a vision for how J Israel can be both Jewish and democratic. So they reject that notion just simply from a humanist perspective and not from an anti-Jewish perspective. Now, Blake, what you're saying to that is they need to understand that without a state, then we cannot keep ourselves secure. So maybe they, they are well-intentioned, but they're supporting an ideology that is fundamentally dangerous to our existence. Now, now th these, these two truths, we, we need to understand and we need to find a way to reconcile them. I'm not making a statement as to whether anti-Zionism anti is anti-Semitism, but I, I do think that if we do see somebody expressing anti-Zionist uh, sentiment, it's not helpful to call them an, an anti-Semite without understanding where their position comes from. Because if we see someone's an anti-Zionist for the reason of being a humanist and wanting to see Palestinians prosper, then we should explain to them why a Jewish state is important without needing to call them anti-Semitic, because that will just do nothing to, to progress conversation. And vice, and vice versa. Um, somebody who doesn't support a Jewish state needs to explain that it's nothing against Jews personally. It's just they don't see how that can happen in a way that gives Palestinians uh, equality and liberation and prosperity. So we need to find a way to reconcile these two truths. And part of it comes down to how we converse with one another. And we, we shouldn't just go to slinging insults and labeling, rather try to get to the bottom of where their view comes from and have a productive conversation like we're having today. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, Blake, it's, it's all you know. Yeah. So throughout history, what is something that is constant with anti-Semitism? Something that is a constant common denominator of anti-Semitism is that the people who are advocating for the anti-Semitic idea will wrap their mission. And their mission is, of course, at the end of the day, violence in, against Jewish people, uh, the erasure of the Jewish people from the state of the earth. They will wrap that language, that that rhetoric with a lot of language and rhetoric to make it more palatable to the masses, right? That is a key component of anti-Semitism in order to commit anti-Semitism, is to make sure that enough of the general public, if they don't agree with you, first, you need to get a lot of the general public to agree with you. And then second, you need to make the issue so confounded by political jargon, by by talks of by talks of uh, either religion, either you know ideological whims, that a large swath of the public is confused, is aloof, and would just rather not touch the issue, rendering the Jews uh, before the state of Israel mostly defenseless. Um, you can look at this. I mean, this is just very very simple. When you know when. Jews were being burned at the stake and slaughtered en masse, you know, on, on during the, the medieval Europe period, uh, especially during the time of the Crusades. The Catholic Church said, no, no, of course, we don't condone that. We're not, we're not against Jews. We are simply doing the righteous work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, the Nazis said to their people, no, don't worry about the Jews. We are simply doing the just work of advancing the pure German master race. Don't worry about them. They're not important. Don't worry about them if they disappear from your neighborhoods, because this is the banner of justice that we are carrying. 
The communists said, we are not against Jews. Don't worry. That's against our very nature, our our, our Marxist nature to be against Jews. We're not anti-Semites. We are just against the filthy, rootless, capitalist, cosmopolitan Zionists weakening our grip on on, on communist utopia. Uh, The far right says, no, 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 we are not against Jews, but rather George Soros, Mike Bloomberg, and the evil tricks of the East Coast champagne socialists. And the far left says, of course, no, 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 we are not against Jews, just the unforgivable and disgusting, repugnant nature of the state of Israel. And so the general public is convinced, confused by all of this word and rhetoric, and the Jew is left to fend for themselves. How can one look at all of these examples in history and not see a common theme, not see a common trend is baffling because when when we're actually talking about anti-Zionism, we're not talking about theory here. We can't talk about theory. It's very easy for us to discuss binationalism and confederation and two-state solution while we're in the cushy confines of our political science courses um, or, or in our Twitter echo chambers. But the situation on the ground, the security concerns on the ground, the dynamics between people on the ground you cannot prescribe some sort of ideological uh, uh, imposition on it because it simply is not possible and it would end in disaster. And also, even if you take out of the equation what anti-Zionism would mean for the for the safety and the security of the Jewish people, you have to understand that this by itself on its face is an annihilationist form of justice. It says to the Jewish people that your existing political community, your flag, your language, your shared national identity that you did not have for 2000 years and then had by some miraculous resurgence of political thought and military will, that no longer is valid. That no, out of all of the countries in the world, yours is no longer valid. Yours is no longer accepted. And Thomas, um, you mentioned that you know other people were were against uh, you know the, the way that the Syrian regime is set up, uh, uh, the way that um, multiple countries uh, have critics about about their very nature, but it is simply incomparable to the type of vilification and demonization that Israel has to experience every single day. No other country arrives at the floor of the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council and is subjected to so much vitriol, so much bias, so much hatefulness on a day-to-day basis. No other country has its very existence called into question that rather uh, hostily on college campuses. There is not a boycott, divest, and sanctions movement all over the globe uh, pinpointing random countries for, for their transgressions and misdeeds. That only exists with Israel. Israel is the only obsession because anti-Semitism by its very nature, by its very uh, definition, is an irrational obsession with Jews in order to scapegoat them for the problems facing the world. Always keep Jews in the center. Always keep Jews under, under supervision. Always, always center the Jews in order to vilify them, slander them, and scapegoat them for problems that, of course, there are many problems with, with the Israeli government. We can talk uh, uh, how many? How much time do you have talking about the terrible things that the Israeli government has done in regards to the Palestinians and has done in regards to their own people? But this in no way delegitimizes an already existing political community. And the fact that it does, the fact that we're even having a debate around Zionism, which at this point, Zionism is, is, is done. It's settled. Israel exists. 
Israel exists and it will continue to exist. So just by the fact that we're having this debate is proof of the world's kind of manic obsession with this one deviant piece of land, this one political community that regardless of what it does, regardless of what good it brings to the world, regardless of what protection it provides for persecuted people, by its very nature is sinful, demonic, satanic, and must be undone. Okay. Um, so again, I mean, you're, 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 here's what I see happening. I think you're saying a I'm not trying like okay, I'm not trying to accuse you of malice of anything or anything, but I think you're doing a little bit of a bait and switch here because you, you did give a very, I think, good and succinct history of anti-Semitism and its functions. And I pretty much uh, ag- agree with what you said um in terms of that. But I, I think well, okay, I just there's a few things, but I'll start with this. I think when you say that, well, because people and again, I said in the very beginning, I do not deny these people exist. I, you know, witnessed them myself. That because yes, there are people that um, are anti-Zionist because they are anti-Semitic or hide their anti-Zionism or excuse me, hide their anti-Semitism behind anti-Zionism. That you know that somehow delegitimizes you know the entire idea of um, that the idea of of, uh, of anti-Zionism. I think I mean it, it's it's a very it, okay. For, I'm going to give a sort of analogy. I think. I, to sort of tell you, uh, to sort of show you why I think this is nonsensical, but you know, in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, you know, obviously there's this you know, movement called eugenics that was in vogue about pretty much, uh, you know, promoting getting people to reproduce with, you know, what were seen as desirable traits and stopping people who had undesirable, undesirable traits from reproducing. And one of the ways that, um, one of the ways that this was sort of supported or implemented was through the use of contraception. And, you know, you will probably hear conservatives, for instance, talk a lot about how Margaret Sanger, um, the founder of uh, Planned Parenthood, and I know we're a little far afield, but just hear me out. The founder of Planned Parenthood was, you know, a eugenicist because she uh, supported birth control or something along those lines. Therefore, all birth control is bad. Um, and not, not just Margaret Sanger, but other people as well. And like, yeah, there were shitty people you know, who did, you know, support birth control for bad reasons, but I don't think that would <laughs> discredit, for instance, the entire notion of uh, contraception, because, you know, today most people would see it as something, you know, very useful, even though it does sort of have a, uh, I'd just say, troubled past. Um, so another thing I want to move on to is you you said sort of, you know, well, right now, you know, we're just, you know, two guys sort of, you know, discussing Israel-Palestine, um, Israel, yeah, Israel-Palestine, while you know, there's real things happening on the ground. I don't disagree with you. Um, when you but when you talk about how what what you're what what you're saying about what what ha- would happen under um, a binational uh, state, for instance, what, what you're saying it could be bad. It, it might be, and you're you're saying maybe. And fair enough, it might be. It's it's very speculative, and we can, we can hash that out and have that debate. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I I don't know, but we we can have that. Um, we can have that discussion, but the fact that if you look at the reality, like if that discredits, so if what something that might happen under anti-Zionism discredits it, does is what has happened now for seventy years, if not more, under Zionism discredits Zionism. I would actually say no, it doesn't, because again, like you said, um, you know, there's you have to you know you have to take the good with the bad and sort of you know just uh, you know look at the philosophy for what it is. Um, again, um, another thing, I mean, you said that. Uh, there, there's no sort of, there's no one else who wants to, uh, you know, Israel is the only country that has this existence called the question. That's not true. Again, if you're on, you said you identify as a, a person of the left, you will see all the time people 
sharing for you know people saying that the United States of America is an illegitimate settler colonial state and has to be dismantled. We can debate the merits of that, but I don't think that means that they necessarily hate American people or white people. Um, so I mean, just even there, that that by, by, that by itself just shows that people do talk about dismantling or. Or I guess I should maybe just say fundamentally changing the, the, the nature of certain countries. Um, you know, you talked about col- you know college. You know, why, why is in college campuses people care about Israel so much? I mean, I might be talking like a, like a bit of a merocentrist here, um, but maybe it's because the United States unconditionally supports Israel. We give them three point eight dollars, uh, three point eight billion dollars in military, no questions asked each year. Um, this current administration has in particular pretty much given Israel everything it's wanted. You can lose your job um, or just be publicly um, ostracized or, or you know, yeah, lose your job or just be publicly shamed and have your career ruined for, you know, speaking, talking about Israel in certain ways that maybe are harsh, but not really anti-Semitic. We're like calling it an apartheid state. Like you can debate that, but I don't think that's necessarily anti-Semitic, um, you know. The fact that there's like executive orders now from like several executive orders that, you know, from, you know, straight from, you know, Trump currently and, you know, the State Department that directly go after this thing you're talking about. Um, the fact that, you know, right now in the middle of the modern plague that politicians from both parties, it seems that among other things, the only thing they really care about is just selling more weapons to Israel while our own people are, uh, you know, getting sick and dying. And, um, you know, and you know, I mean, so I think I think that's why people, you know, care, at least in the United States, care. But when it comes to Jews, again, that's going to go back to my fourth point I stated in my introduction. It's because we are told to identify with Israel. So if we're told to identify with Israel, then we have every single right in the world to criticize it and talk about how it should be changed. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is that you, you said debating Zionism is unrealistic. And I actually kind of I, I agree. I completely agree with you at this point. It's a done deal. I, I think you know. There's uh, a lot of navel gazing around the subject, and people are like, "What about this? What about it? like? Okay, we should we should, we should be talking about what are the material things that are on the ground that I that that you know should be improved." I'll tell you right now. I mean, the things I would like to see would be an end to the occupation, an end to the blockade, either splitting or sharing Jerusalem, Israel ceasing to warmonger with Iran, um, you know, a mutually agreed upon solution to the Palestinian refugee issue. Yeah, we can, we can talk about that. But the problem is, is that all of that is poisoned once you call it anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, because most reasonable anti-Zionists are talking about policies like that. And you can say, well, inherently, it's not like that. OK, but in reality, it is. And we're talking, like you said, we're talking about reality. But we're not talking about reality because we're, we're talking about a solution to, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that is not rooted in reality. And this is this is something that uh, so Israeli academic uh, and scholar and, and former politician um, Anat Wilf, she has kind of coined this term um, called West splaining, right? And that is to say that uh, it's it's when Western intellectuals, Western diplomats, Western journalists talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and they do two things. And the first thing that I want to address is is what I've kind of alluded to before, and that is saying, well, why can't it just be like this? Everything would be better if it was like this. Uh, it could be a binational solution or it can be some sort of liberal federation and everyone would live in peace and harmony. And that's and that's how we solve the issue, because both of these states, as they current are, are immoral. And that is completely, completely separated from the reality of the geopolitical situation on the ground. And this I mean, this might even serve as my closing argument when you look at the geopolitical situation on the ground, both Israelis and Palestinians 
in the vast majority of both Israelis and Palestinians will tell you that such a solution would not work. And even if we're, let's, okay, so that's the first part. The binational solution just would not work, just knowing knowing the character of the region. But let's take a binational solution out of the equation. If we're just talking about Zionism itself, Zionism has resulted in the creation of the modern state of Israel post-1948. It's been here for more than 70 years. It's not going anywhere. To imply that the erasure of that community, the erasure of that sovereign state and the manifestations of its independence as its own state, as its own people deciding their own fate and how they wish uh, to make decisions on the world stage. To argue that that very movement itself is invalid, is unworthy, is bad, is sinful, is not is not the right way. When if you look around the world, how many times has a similar movement been duplicated? As I said before, in the 20th century alone, over 100 nation states were born from the ashes of fallen empires based on similar ideas, in fact almost exactly the ideas of Israel, that each nation, that each independent people had the right to govern themselves. And these wars that uh characterized this transition from empire to nation state were extremely bloody and chaotic because power structures never dismantle easily. They produced millions of refugees. Millions of people were scattered across the globe, forced to find uh, new borders, forced to find new homes in countries that were not their own, forced to establish themselves as sovereign in pieces of land and give up sovereignty in other pieces of land. We had civil wars. We had world wars. All of this chaos and confusion was meant to settle a more peaceful world order in which each nation had the right and had the dignity to govern themselves and to live in peace and protection. We are arguably almost there, right? We, we're not in constant chaos across the world with, with fights breaking out on every single border in every single country and every single continent and every single where. There is just one whose very existence and we're not talking about reform. We're not talking about uh, uh, meddling in the regime and making it more fair and balanced. We are talking about the complete erasure of a sovereign state. And that is where I disagree with you. Nobody's talking about the complete erasure of the United States as a sovereign state. Nobody's talking about the complete erasure of Syria as a sovereign state. No one's talking about the complete erasure of China as a sovereign state. And even if they were, even if somebody were to say, you know, uh, uh, the United States has a terrible policing problem uh, uh, with racism and law enforcement, which it certainly does, or or this country was founded on on violent settler colonialism, which it which it, which it certainly was. Even if somebody were to say, let's let's erase, let, let let's fundamentally uh, disband the United States because it's irredeemable. That is completely different from somebody saying, let's fundamentally dismantle Israel, because Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people, the only Jewish people, the only Jewish people on earth. I mean, the only people on earth who identify as Jews. So the United States has 300 million people. There are 16 million Jews in the world, one six. To compare those two things, fundamental change in the United States in terms of regime and fundamental change in Israel is just, is, is not, not correct. We are talking about a people who for 2000 years were so discriminated against because they were stateless. Now, because we've had seven, 70 years of a state, which is the 
exception, not the rule to Israeli history. We're safer now than we've ever been. We're stronger now than we've ever been. How there can be a movement to disappear that strength, to disappear that security, masked as social justice, and then somebody can say that's not anti-Semitic. I don't see how that's reasonable. All right. Um, Thomas, share, share final thoughts, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and we'll move it over to the after party in Discord. Right. But am I giving my concluding statement or am I just, uh, should I just, am I, you, am I you, you could, you could address what Blake said and then, um, give a concluding statement. Blake, uh, Blake real quick. Did you, was that your concluding statement or would you like to wrap it up I with something else? I think my concluding statement wannabe is the Palestinian people. Have well, been, wait, wait, wait for, let, let Thomas respond. Okay. And then of course, of so, course. so Thomas respond and then we could do uh, closing statements. All right. Thank you. Um, so, all right, just a few things here. Um, you had brought up Einat Wilf and uh, this whole idea of West Blaining and, you know, these lofty intellectuals with their, you know, their hoity-toity ivory tower ideas. Meanwhile, they they uh, allegedly, and maybe that's true, they don't, they don't understand the region. I mean, okay, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I do not fundamentally see how that is anti-Semitic. Debating certain, the ideas of a man-made polity, not the existence of human beings, the existence of a man-made polity, which Israel is, along with the United States, Iran, Russia, UK, whatever, that is not an inherently anti-Semitic or inherently bigoted against any group of people. Um, secondly, um, you, I mean, you, you talk about, I think you talked, uh, you, you had mentioned something along the lines of that, you know, Zionism is a, a national liberation movement. I think it certainly does have aspects of that, but I think you know, and, and the implication of you saying that, I think, was to say, well, to oppose that is to be uh, anti-Semitic or whatever. Again, I think that is, like, I'm not trying to, like, it, it is emotionally, or lo it is emotionally loaded language, because I think simply Zionism should be defined, and I think this is a very fair, neutral definition, should be the support for the existence of a Jewish state. It's like when anti-Zionists say that Zionism is Jewish supremacy, Zionism is white supremacy, uh, white, um, white supremacism or, or, or Jewish fundamentalism. No, I, I mean, I think it can incorporate certain aspects of that, but that's not inherently what it is. So I think both sides are guilty of using of using loaded language. Um, again, and, and I, I, I mean, and I'm going to repeat just my, my, my earlier point, but, you know, I mean, I'm not saying by debate, by, you know, criticisms of Zionism or anti-Zionism or non-Zionism or post-Zionism or whatever you want to call it. I mean, again, those can be fair or unfair criticisms, but it's not because we're talking about an institution. It is not inherently anti-Semitic. Um, again, you said, you know, what, you know, you brought up um, some other countries. Um, I, I mean, again, you're saying that, you know, no, you're saying no one, uh, you know, wants what, what you call regime change in the United States. Again, that's not true. You said you're a man of the left. And again, if you spend any time on social media, you will constantly see people talking about, you know, some kind of regime change, how America must reckon with its past of slavery and American Indian genocide. And I, and I totally agree. And that is, in a sense, some form a kind of regime change. So when people say the same thing about Israel and how it should, you know, fundamentally be transformed to be a binational state, whether or not that's a good idea. It's not, you know, I mean, whether or not that, that's a good idea, I, you know, it, it, you, you can't describe that as anti-Semitic. You're, you're, you're sullying the discourse. You know, if you think, I mean, if you want to lay out why you think a binational solution would be a bad idea, in effect, then that's fine. Lay out, make make your case. I think there is a good case against a binational solution and there were two-state solution instead. I mean, that's totally fine. You know, make, 
but make your case. Make the case. Do not, let's not use personal insults. And um, lastly, just in terms of what I, what I, what I wanted to respond to, again, you're, you're saying Israel is, you know, it's the first time that Jewish people have had any sort of, you know, modicum of safety, of certain safety. And, you know, uh, it wasn't, it was never like this in history. And look, I'm not necessarily inclined to disagree with you. But the fact of the matter is, is that the way that the Israeli government and supporters of Israel garner support for Israel is by emphasizing how dangerous, how threatened it is, and that the only way Israel can defend itself is through all these measures that critics of Israel and I would say also anti-Zionists object to. So if Israel really is such a safe place, then I personally, as a non-Zionist, who's really just ambivalent on the issue personally, I would like to see some change in policies. And I know you're going to say that's not anti-Zionism. I agree. But the fact of the matter is too many people, in effect, that's what Zionism is. Um, Look, uh, I'm going to say for my closing statement, um, I really enjoyed being on here. I don't have anything against Blake personally. I think he's a very bright guy and he made, and he's made, he made some really good arguments. I just strongly disagree with them. Um, look, I think, all right, I'm going to, <laughs> all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be a dork for a second, but I want to sort of paraphrase a quote from the walking dead back before, back when I was actually good. Before um, it got shitty and they killed everybody two times over. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I still want to watch it. I still, I, I got to catch up in the last like three seasons, but there was the character Herschel who was talking about, you know, they live in this post apocalyptic you know, zombie, zombie world. And in and, and her, he gave a sort of inspirational speech about, you know, people being, you know, afraid to, you know, uh, you know, do certain things. And he's like, well, when you go outside, you die. When you stay inside, you die. When you get a drink of water, you die. When you, you don't get a drink of water, you die. The fact of the matter is that there's always going to be threats. And I think that can, the same thing applies to, you know, the Jewish community writ large. And it doesn't matter whether that is in the diaspora, which I think history has shown. But I think history has shown that Jews can are sometimes unsafe in Israel as well. And that, you know, regardless of whether one is a Zionist or an anti-Zionist or a non-Zionist, it is about one what one wants to live and die for at the end of the day. And I don't think, and I think the discourse is made all the worse for Zionists and anti-Zionists by calling certain calling certain positions about institutions anti-Semitic. And I'll leave it at that. So, thank you. Blake, all you. Yeah, so thank you uh, again, Thomas, for being here. Um, I just want to say for, for my final thing, uh, for, my, for my final statement, just how obvious of an argument this is. And I said this in, in my opening statement. What is Zionism? Zionism is the Jewish right to make decisions for the Jewish people. Zionism is the only manifestation of legitimate Jewish power that there has been for the past 2,000 years. Zionism is the Jews having a seat at the table of international affairs. Zionism is the Jews saying, we have a say in how you treat us. We have a say in how you uh, accept us into your world. We will no longer be a scattered, diasporic, powerless community subjected to the will of a country that we are not the majority in. We will have one place on earth where we can defend ourselves on our own territory and we will make decisions for our own future. Because frankly, after 2000 years, and one of my favorite uh, Instagram accounts, I believe his, his username is Jewish Angelino, said this, because frankly, after 2000 years, you've lost our trust. You've lost our trust to not have a nation state of our own. Anti-Zionism is inherently anti-Semitic because it says, Jews, you do not have the right to be at this table. 
You do not have a right to be making decisions for yourselves. You do not have a right to have your own army to defend yourself, even after 2000 years of the most violent and bloody oppression that this world has ever seen. You do not have a right to govern yourselves on your own territory, especially the territory that has always been associated with you and your national identity. Judea, we are all called Jews. You have no, absolutely no right to be masters of your own fate in one corner of the world, regardless of how big or how small. That is what anti-Zionism says. It is a fundamental rejection of the concept of Jews having authority, the concept of Jews having power. When we talk about all the other nations, all the other people in the world, and say, look, if there can be a peaceful solution, it would be great if everybody had power. It would be great if everybody had the right to make decisions about their own future. And in fact, we do have that discourse surrounding other countries uh, much more than we do surrounding Israel. And you know, so much of uh, of the debate surrounding Zionism and anti-Zionism comes back to the Palestinian people and, and the Palestinian experience. And the Palestinian people deserve, with the same level of, of ferocity, self-determination as with the Jews, right? Nowhere in Zionism does it say that there cannot be a Palestinian state. In fact, it is my Zionism that demands that the Palestinians have a state because, because I believe so strongly that every nation has its right to self-determination. And I promise this is going to get to my closing argument, but why don't the Palestinians have a state? Why don't the Palestinians have a state? We can talk about settlement building, which is, of course, an impediment to a Palestinian state. We can talk about uh, land demolition and, and home demolition and building permits, which are, of course, impediments to Palestinian states, uh, to a Palestinian state. But the fundamental reason for why the Palestinians do not have a state even though they've been offered so many times throughout history, is because they do not accept a Jewish one. They do not accept that the Jews are a nation with the same rights and the same liberties as every other nation, including themselves. And that in and of itself, that the Jews have no right to govern themselves, the Jews have no right to be in the Middle East, their ancestral neighborhood, because they are European colonizers, all of this language, all of this kind of political jargon comes down to the fact that anti-Zionism is a very simple expression that says the Jews have absolutely no right to power. They will for always, they, they will forever and always remain a powerless, scattered, diasporic people forced to the will of their countries in which they find themselves in. And I, as a Jew who has, you know, two parents who, who are teachers in Jewish history, growing up hearing about the Holocaust, growing about uh, growing up hearing about the Farhud and pogroms, I reject that. And I believe we are in this age of Jewish power. It is a blessing that we're in this age of Jewish power. Let's work to reform it. Let's work to make it more peaceful, more fair, more righteous, instead of resorting to the argument of, well, Jewish power is not working perfectly, so let's take it away from them altogether, which I believe is anti-Semitic. Thank you so much, Blake. While these were closing set statements, this is not the end because we're moving it over to the after party in Discord. I will drop a link in a few moments and explain how that works. I just want to make a comment on how the comment section went today because I think that's also part of the dialogue. By and large, for a YouTube, YouTube comment section on such a controversial issue, I'd say that you all did very well. So great job, chat. Uh, one comment I would make where I do see room for improvement, I did see some comments, people saying, 
guest A destroyed guest B, guest B owned guest A. Look, we're trying we're to do something. Shapiro. We're not destroying anybody. Exactly. We're, we're trying to do something different. <laughs> I, 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 know, I, I know we call this a debate, but we're really trying to find common ground. And if you're taking your time to write to say who owned who, A, you're not listening, but also you're just solidifying the two sides and making it harder for us to reach common ground. So if you think someone said something you agree with, praise them. You don't need to make this in a competition between both sides. We don't need to engage in personal attacks to either of our guests, which I did see, and that's not cool at all. So please keep that in mind. Try to make your contribution to the conversation one that is productive. In addition to that, I saw a lot of people saying, why is everybody so obsessed with Israel? Why is everybody so obsessed with Israel? And I do see that as a legitimate um, claim because it does seem like Israel is under a magnifying glass in many ways, and we get, um, in many ways, undeserving attention. But we, we need to understand that this is a conversation right now between only Jews, three Jews here. And if you're Jewish or Palestinian and your main focus is Israel-Palestine, you have every single right to make that the focal point of your conversation. So th that's an important nuance. There is there is a disproportionate focus on Israel-Palestine, but if that focus is coming from Israeli or Jews or Palestinians, then it's completely legitimate, important to keep that in mind. The conversation... We'll continue in Discord. The way Discord works is just dropped a link in the chat. You click that link, you'll be in the Great Debate Discord. On the left-hand side, you'll see it says the lounge. That's where the after party is. Click on the lounge twice, and you will connect uh, via voice or video. It's up to you. You don't need to speak. You don't need to show yourself. You could also type. You will see above the lounge, there's another channel where you can type. We will continue the conversation there. And with that, Brother Blake, Brother Thomas, it's been a great pleasure, and um, I'd, I'd love to host you both again. See you all at the after party. Thank you so hey. much. Be well. Be well, you guys. See you there.